Hello and welcome to this week's Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, Associate Director of Church Society, and I'll be your host here on the podcast. This week, I'm talking to a group of Anglican ordinands at Oak Hill College. We talked about the process of discernment, uh, of selection, and their hopes for the future in the Church of England. I was really encouraged by the time that I spent with them, and I hope that you will be as well. Maybe if we just go around, and if you could introduce yourselves by... Uh, maybe we'll do sort of a university challenge. You tell us what your name is, which diocese you're from, and what year you're in. Chris Edwards from Diocese of Chichester, and in my third year. Alan Sego from the Diocese of Chester, and I'm in my fourth year. I'm Paul Sutton from the Diocese of Southwark, in my second year. Jake Egerson, Diocese of Oxford, third year. Excellent. Okay, so we've got quite a range of uh, people from different kinds of dioceses and uh, at different stages going through the process. I wonder if I could ask you all just to think about uh, before you came to college and the sort of going through the selection process and maybe even before that as you started to think about whether God was calling you to ordain ministry. Um, were there things about the Church of England that particularly made you think, yes, that, that must be uh, where God is calling me, things that maybe gave you concerns along the way? Um, what, what was it uh, that kind of brought you to it? I guess I guess you all started off in being in an Anglican church yourselves. No one converted. Alid, go on, start us off then. Um, so I became a Christian when I was about 17, and that was in a Church of Wales church, very, very different kind of context, but then went to university and ended up in an independent church and was there for five years, and that's when I started wondering, do I go into full-time ministry or not? Um, applied for a ministry trainee job at an Anglican church and got it um, without realising the changes that would mean. Um, so I spent a long time wrestling with Anglican theology, Anglican distinctives, baptising babies was a big thing for me. Um, and I went from being a functional Anglican, if we can use that word, um, to becoming a convictional one through wise and patient vicars and the Book of Common Prayer. Wonderful. Okay, good. How about anyone else? Was it straightforward or were you all... Uh... I'm a convert as well. Oh, go on. What's your story? Uh, I grew up going to a Baptist church. Right. Um, I went to an Anglican church and I went to university. And I'd actually done various things in Anglican churches before that as well. So I sang in choirs and stuff when I was at school. Um, so yeah, having been going to an Anglican church, I think my... Discerning about ministry took place in, in sort of different stages. I think first of all, I was very enthused, excited about the gospel and about the Bible, and therefore about the, the possibility of teaching it. I think then I thought, well, actually, if you're going to teach it, you're teaching it to people, so you kind of love people as well. Good. Uh, and then I think I, it was only as I was going through that that I started to think, actually, I'm going to an African church, what does that mean? I don't know about you guys, but I'd say for me, the process of actually doing the the bat, the discernment process in the diocese was probably the thing which forced me to actually mm. come to conclusions about mm. am I an Anglican or not? Do I like it or do I not like it more than anything else? Great. Yeah. Similar? Uh, not similar. I'm not a convert to Anglicanism, but I was turned down for my first bat, so I, I almost packed it all in and really? stepped away. But um, similar to Paul, I think that whole experience of first being turned down um, getting some more parish experience, working that disappointment through, and um, and sort of rebuilding foundations and, and my convictions really helped me embrace true sort of gospel reformed Anglicanism. Great, 
And Chris, what's your experience? I think, I mean, I grew up in a Methodist church, was converted in a Methodist church, then went to an Anglican church, just with the attitude that, well, if they preach the gospel, then that's great, and that's the main thing that matters. Obviously, I think that's true, but then, like Alid, I gradually became increasingly convictionally Anglican. I mean, to go back to your mm. first question, there's the things that encourage you that, yes, I would love to serve in an Anglican church. And there's things that make you think, do I really want to serve in an Anglican church? And I think those two things happen simultaneously in a way. I mean, I've been in Anglican, well, in Anglican churches for 20 years. So you've seen all kinds of great things, all kinds of things that make you concerned for the future of evangelical ministry. Uh, and those, but those two things happen together. And so because you are concerned, you also see the opportunities and you see a desire for something that is so good that that it shouldn't just be thrown away. Great. That's really helpful. So um, thinking about some of those positives, I mean, obviously you did all go through selection and decide that that you wanted to train uh, for Anglican ministry and, that, and that's why you're here. What are some of those positives that you, that you see about uh, the Anglican church and, and ministering uh, in this country as Anglicans? Definitely silence. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> there's, there's loads. There's loads of really great opportunities. I mean, we are the established church. We have an easier door into schools and civic-related things. And when people think church, they think Anglican. Um, if they want to wander in on Christmas or Easter or whatnot, or if you're happen to be wandering down the street and you're wearing a dog collar, people will approach you either to say something not very nice or want to tell you your, your entire their entire life story and all the problems they have so there's a definite almost shop window like quality to being an Anglican yeah and it's brilliant to know that we can be part of that and be able to meet people where they're at and serve in that particular way okay any anyone want to add to any of that I haven't got them to hand but I've been surprised by statistics of churches and parishes going unfilled after vacancies and just and in certain parts of the country as well and the number of opportunities there are for um, church revitalization to take place and for people to um, commit long term to, to parishes that are just desperate for someone to come and minister Christ. Yeah absolutely I, th I think that's huge and I think uh, it's something I think probably varies quite a lot around the country, but it's really encouraging to start to hear some stories of deities being willing to, to partner in that and say, here's a church which needs revitalization kind of ministry. It's not traditionally been, Anglican, uh, been evangelical, but actually, let's try. Let's try putting a plant from an evangelical church or you know, setting up a, an evangelical kind of new ministry here and, and see how that goes and, and the opportunities for that kind of work, I think, are increasing. That's opportunities. There's also this, the convictions and the theological convictions, which, I mean, so the first Anglican church I went to, the vicar, every year at the church anniversary, would read some of the 39 articles, which I'd never come across before. And, uh, and so the first few years, yeah. I thought, what is this guy doing? I mean, I How think you're supposed to do that in every parish, aren't you? I've never come across one that does. No idea. I mean, he said, I, he I said when he was to. instituted, he had to read the whole lot on his first mm -hmm. Sunday. And he just thought it was good every year to read a few. And I say, my first few years, I thought, what, how is this remotely relevant? What are we doing here? But then I just came to appreciate um, uh, 
I came to appreciate them for their uh, just for their, their beauty in terms of their theological measure that they don't try and say everything, but they say crucial things about crucial things. Yeah. And um, and that you know being reformed, uh, but reformed with a moderate Calvinism, if you like. Uh, I, and I've just as my terrible gaps in in English history and church history have gradually been filled in over the years. I've come to appreciate that more and more yeah. as a foundation for, for church. I think that's really encouraging to me to hear. I think that, uh, not perhaps my generation, but but the generation before that, people were just Anglicans, evangelicals were just Anglicans because they saw it as a best boat to fish in. And I think that sense of recovering Anglicanism because of what it actually stands for and its foundational documents. I, I'm really encouraged to see that growing amongst a new generation of, of ordinance and people going out into ministry. Um, you mentioned previously though, Chris, as well, some of the, the challenges and particularly as we look at what the Church of England is like today. Um, I guess that there must have been concerns around the kind of church that you're committing yourself to serve in as you look at the sort of stuff going on in, in Synod at the moment. Um, has that been something that has impacted um, where you've got to now and, and you're thinking? Yes and no. Okay. In that clearly there are many, whoever you are in the church, you're going to be concerned about the trajectories of something, I think. And the evangelicals clearly have particular concerns with things that are raised in Synod, you know, maybe in particular in certain dioceses they feel like there's not much opportunity for the sort of things that Jake was just mentioning about mission, I don't know. But I feel most of all like, Although these things are really serious and they're, they're sort of rumbling on in the background and will continue to do, there's still just so much good work to do. And, you know, we're willing, I'll finish it over in a couple of years and we'll be ordained. But I think the church will still be going there and there'll still be opportunities there. <laughs> I hope there is. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, the thing about five years, well, there'll still be opportunities there, but 10 oh. years. And actually, when you start to think, how much of our of our lives do we actually realistically want to plan out exactly how we want it? Maybe, maybe we, we do want to sort of have yeah. a whole life plan, but I feel that I can... Yeah. Even if you've got a whole life plan, he, you know, he laughs at life plans, doesn't he? Well, exactly. So, I mean, you guys who are, who are sort of coming up to finish this year, this year, yeah. um, what, what do you get a sense of the opportunities that there are out there for, as you're looking for curacies? Are there... Are there lots of opportunities, lots of churches looking for for you guys? Well, I guess it's a bit easy for me because I've already got a curacy. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> Chester are a very organised and lovely diocese and they've okay. already sorted me out. Easy. What about you? Yeah, Chris? and so uh, confident. I mean, ultimately confident because the Lord has the perfect yeah. place prepared for us. So, um, But also, just as a matter of fact, there are all kinds of opportunities for great places to train around the country and that, that's just a fact I think there are lots and lots um, and there's not as many in certain parts of the country just because right. there's a shortage of uh, particularly conservative evangelical Anglican churches in certain parts of the country when you look at the map which is terrible mm. and that's one of the things we need to pray and work to change um, as but you're not getting a scope. sense that diocese are stopping those churches getting curates or it doesn't seem to be... I've heard of one or two stories, but they are, they are very, you know, of places that are really not interested okay. in having. I mean, that's anecdotal, but yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tiny minority of places. Great. There's lots of places where 
So in general, people kind of seem to be finding there's, yeah, yeah. there's places to look and places yeah. to, to yeah. find. And, yeah. Yeah. and do you have a sense, um, I don't know exactly the kind of churches that you've all come from and, and where you might go, but um, I was talking to someone uh, a couple of days ago who pointed out that, I don't know what proportion it is, I want to say like 70% of churches are rural churches or, you know, some huge number. And um, I think often people tend to want to go back to the kind of church they come from and maybe those are more likely to be big churches or city churches or student churches or whatever. Um, is, there, is there a passion for ministry um, in places where evangelicals don't normally go, do you think? people? Do you get a sense among your, your sort of colleagues here that... I think that's definitely true for unreached parts of the country or unreached parts of certain cities yeah. or being willing to not be actually that obnoxious and actually go to a church which has a slightly different tradition and yeah. respect that tradition yeah. and preach the gospel. I think there's a lot of excitement about that. I think on the specific example you gave about rural sure. ministry, I I know some people that, you know, fellow ordinaries mm. who are excited and want to go that way. I would say that's less of a thing that people are like, oh, I just can't wait to be... Somehow the inner city parishes. sounds more glamorous, doesn't it? Like, I'm really yeah. going to be at the cutting edge of the gospel yeah, rather than... Yeah, the multi-parish thing is huge, isn't it? It's really... Yeah. I think that's very off-putting for a lot of people. That's a big challenge because uh, certainly amongst conservative yeah. evangelicals or more broadly evangelicals, we haven't had multi-parish ministries modeled to us in the same way that some people have done other sorts of revitalizations yeah. or inner city ministries or, or even certain rural ministries. Um, so I think I think the challenges are, are there um, and um, the, the opportunities are there too, but we, we don't always know what it's going to look like, I suppose. The unknown, I think, for me is the biggest factor and um, uh, worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who's never really known what she's going to be doing from one end of the year to the next, that, that is just sort of how God works quite a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah. I guess what what would be the thing um, that you might want to say to people at the stage before you? So if there are people listening to this who are wondering about going for ordination, and, and we were talking in the meeting earlier about uh, permanent diaconate as, as well as uh, ordination to the priesthood, what would be the things that, that you might say to someone who's thinking about that at this stage that, that perhaps you wish someone had said to you four or five years ago? I think I'd want to say, please do it. We need you. Um, and I'd want to say, so when, before I went on my Bishop's Advisory Panel, um, a vicar friend said to do to be two things, to be unflinching in truth and to be unfailing in love. And I'm pretty sure those two things got me through my back because the current perception well the stereotype that an evangelical is generally grumpy doesn't like people who disagree with you arrogant arrogant and, and, and yeah so i know more about the bible and i know more about morals than you do um don't go in doing that don't perpetuate the stereotype be honest about your convictions but do it in a gentle and loving way and you'll find actually that's when it's easier to have a voice at the table when you're being gracious. Great advice. Uh, anyone else? I think if you're not sure about the Church of England or about Anglican convictions or whatever, but you do feel a passion for ministering the scriptures to God's people, and you're at least open to the idea of the Church of England, then I can say push the door and see what happens. Because like we just said earlier on, several of us actually felt that 
it was as we were forced to explore those things because we worked in a place where it was an Anglican church or as we were going through the ordination process, that's where those things sort of fell into place for us. Maybe yeah. there are many, as many other people for whom they didn't, but rather than waiting until you're sort of, I'm absolutely convinced that the church thing is not going to implode and that it is yeah. a Protestant reformed evangelical church or whatever it is that people you know want it to be, then figure that out on the way rather than thinking I've got to get to that point before I can even start. I think that's a really helpful point. Something uh, I know we've been discussing uh, with sort of evangelical ministers in, in my diocese that we meet as a group is we don't have any current uh, ordinance going through the process or even people going for selection. And one of the things I think maybe we sometimes do as evangelical churches is wait until people are, are sort of nearly the finished article before we say to them, you should go for selection, you should go for ordination. And actually, it's okay to start the process sooner. And that might be sooner in terms of maturity and, and gifting, but also sooner just in terms of being sure whether this is where you want to go or not. And, you know, they talk about it as exploring, don't they? Exploring vocations. And, and it's okay if that's what you're still doing. And actually, I don't think that helps people when they're going through the bat. If actually yeah. the, the impression has been that you sort of have to pass your real implied bat yeah. With your pastor before you can even start because then it makes that whole process of going through with, with the DDO and ultimately yeah. with the bishop a bit of a it makes you think it's a mockery but it really isn't yeah you think you've it's all decided it's agreed yeah, and, 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 and they should just rubber stamp it and it, yeah I agree that's very helpful Jake I could go with both of those things that Alan shared and Paul has shared and I'd say as well that um, just because it's a long descendant process doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. I, I'd, I'd encourage you to view it as um, as a good thing, to embrace it, um, to read up well. There's some great literature out there um, to read about what um, Anglicanism is and um, and great people to talk to. So embrace the process, um, embrace the knockbacks, um, be humble and open about it, and um, and be dependent on the law. Great. I think one, one thing I once thought about writing a, a paper on and then couldn't be bothered to do the research but I think there's a pattern of some of the really really influential theologians and, and church leaders through history having spent many 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 years in their study beforehand and it's okay I think if we're not in a rush to the pulpit um, and, and the selection process can be part of that time. Yeah and even if you recognise there are things that you think actually are not perfect or that other people would recognise are not perfect about the process I think it's important to have that sense that God is going to use this and God is going to guide the decision as you know it's not just something that I have to that I have to try and get this box ticked and and actually that's a separate question from what God's calling me to that's a terrible way to think about yes. it yes um, absolutely and of course it may be that the, that it isn't what God's calling to you and he's going to open up some mm -hmm. other um path that he's got planned for you and and that's okay as well Thanks there to Chris Edwards, Aled Sego, Paul Sutton and Jake Eggertson, students at Oak Hill College. As I said during the interview, one of the things that I was so encouraged by uh, was the commitment of those students to the Anglican Church, not simply as an expedient tool for uh, reaching the, the nation with the gospel, but actually Anglicanism in its own right, by conviction of the reformed theology of the Anglican Church with confidence in its foundational documents. I loved that when Chris was talking about hearing the 39 articles being read year after year in his church and coming to really appreciate what they stood for. 
and others as they talk through working out theology over infant baptism and and all of the, the sort of things which are associated with Anglicanism and deciding that yes this is the church uh, that they feel God is calling them to serve in and not being naive about the fact that it is not a perfect institution I don't think any of them uh, were in any doubt that there are all kinds of issues with the Church of England in its current state but nonetheless feeling that it's an institution that God is calling them uh, to minister in and to use that institution to grow his kingdom in the future. Do pray for those four that I spoke to and many like them uh, at Oak Hill and other colleges up and down the country who are preparing uh, to be gospel ministers in the Church of England in generations to come. You know, they really are the future of the Church of England. Uh, And certainly, uh, if there are many more like those four, I'm excited to see what God will be doing with them as the Church of England goes on uh, in the 21st century. One thing that I'd love you to think about as you listen to these Church Society podcasts is how you too can be involved in the future of the Church of England. Our goal at Church Society is to strengthen biblical ministry in the Church of England Uh, and also to help shape the Church of England for the future. We do that in a number of ways. We have patronage of 130 parishes, which means that we're involved in the process of appointing uh, vicars in those churches. But we're involved in a number of other ways. We have a a publishing ministry. Uh, We organise conferences, including a conference specifically for uh, junior Anglicans, those Uh, going through the process of selection in training and in curacy to help them to think about some of the particular uh, issues that they will face as evangelical Anglicans. We're involved in uh, work together with other organisations. We um, host uh, the annual Renew Conference together with Reform and AMIE. We also host a conference together with the Fellowship of the Word and Spirit. And we have a publishing ministry. We produce uh, a theological journal, a quarterly magazine, and a number of books every year. Again, specifically thinking about what it means to be evangelical and Anglican. If you think that's something that you'd like to support, please do go and check out the Church Society website. You can see a bit more about what we do there. And you can also uh, download the membership application form. Uh, As a member, you'll receive our quarterly magazine, monthly emails with updates about what's going on. Uh, As a student member, you also get Churchman, the theological journal. But also, I think, and more importantly, uh, you receive our regular prayer diary with updates of of things to be praying for in our parishes, in the work of uh, the director, Lee Gatiss, and also myself as associate director, and all the different things which are, are going on in the Church of England. We think it's a great way of investing in the future of the Church of England uh, and helping us to make sure that there remains uh, an evangelical voice at the table and a growing evangelical ministry in the Church of England. Uh, So as I say, if you think that's something you'd like to invest in, do go and check out uh, on the website how you can become a member and we'd love you to join us. Thanks for listening. Next week on the podcast, I hope to have an interview with Rod Thomas, the Bishop of Maidstone, the bishop who's not allowed to minister in Maidstone, but anywhere else in the country where conservative evangelicals uh, feel that they need a bishop other than their diocesan or area bishop. So I'll be talking to Rod a bit about what he does and why that's important. Do tune in for that next week. (laughs) 